is the kingdom at hand. It's here in the person of Jesus Christ. The kingdom came in the person of the king. There was like an inauguration of the kingdom and there's a consummation coming. It's been inaugurated by Jesus Christ. My goodness, I'm so excited to be here this morning. I uh, definitely be praying for me, this, my kids this week. I definitely miss my husband. Um, you know, it's been like four years since we've been apart this long, like more than like a night or two. And we really enjoy each other's company. And the only benefit to him being gone is I get to chew ice as loud as I want. It's amazing. <laughs> he hates it when I chew ice and I love it. And so anyways, I've been sitting there like, yeah. <laughs> but other than that, I miss him tremendously because he is my best friend. And that's a really amazing joy to have in a marriage. And today, I. I'm gonna be talking on becoming a friend of God. I'm gonna be talking on friendship with God. And I'm really excited to walk you through a journey of how to become a friend of God. Sound good? So as I've been thinking about this friendship, I've been pondering back to when I was a child and how easy it was to make friends. You remember those days, right? You, you just... Everywhere you go, you go down the slide with somebody and now they're the, your best friend. And you're like, this is my new best friend. Isn't this amazing? You know what was interesting though, is as I was a mother and I had my own children and we'd be at the park, now I've grown up some, and my kids would come up and say something like, my friend said this, or my friend over here, my friend. And I'd be like, oh, what's your friend's name? They'd be like, I don't know. And I, and I'd be like, what do you mean you don't know? <laughs> like, and I would say, well, why don't you go ask them their name? And they would kind of look at me like, what does that have to do with them being my friend? <laughs> like, I don't understand. Like, if you want me to, I can ask their name. And I'd sit there perplexed. Like, I feel like me and my kids have a very different, different definition of what friendship is. To me, being a friend isn't someone you just meet, right? That's an acquaintance that might be even a stranger. But a friend is somebody that you can count on, who's there for you, who calls you back, right? Someone you hang out and you get to know. Um, as a friend, you have shared interests normally. You're not very close friends if you don't, right? You share similar interests. You kind of be, there's a saying out there, like you become who you hang out with, right? So you become like your friends. So how can you be friends with someone you don't even know their name? right? And so I'm sitting there, I would just laugh, like, this is, so, this is so funny. But I, of course, didn't say anything to them. I didn't tell them, like, that's not your friend, you know, <laughs> try to convince them otherwise. But inside, I'm like, I don't think we're talking about the same thing. And I think that's how it is with God. I think God sees us as that children a lot of times where our definition of friendship is not his definition of friendship. We think we're friends with God because we got saved and we go to church, but that's not what he says friendship is. We're basing friendship with God based upon our own earthly definition. Like we hang out sometimes. He's there when we need it. Sometimes our friendship can be pretty selfish. It's like one-sided. You know, we're like, well, 
yeah, he's my friend because he's there for me always. He's so good. But are we a good friend to God? Do we meet his requirements of friendship? And what does he say about that? I want us to turn to John 15. And I quoted this last week during my giving sermon, and I've been meditating on this for quite some time. So I'm gonna read it again. But in John 15, verse 12, and I'm gonna read less than I did last week. Actually, I'm gonna start, I'm gonna do verse 10. It's so hard, you just wanna read it all every time. I'm like, but then, and, and, and. But John 15, verse 10. Verse nine, sorry, okay. (laughs) Just one more verse in there. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. And we're gonna come back to that, the word abide in a moment. But if you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. So just hold that word, because I'm gonna come back to that. Now I'm gonna jump ahead to verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. That is a little bit different than our definition of friendship. Because personally, I don't expect my husband to do everything I command him to do. <laughs> it would not go well for me if I did, and vice versa, right? That's not, co- that's not our code book of friendship as human beings. But it is God's code book. It is his word that a friend obeys all of his commands. You are my friend if you obey my commands. And so I want to take us on a journey of how we get to friendship with God because it is a journey. It's a progression that we go on. It it doesn't happen the day that you're saved, just like it doesn't happen when you're a kid the day you go down a slide with somebody. You may feel like that, and that's great. That's amazing. It's a good sign that you're a friendly person. It's a good sign of a good salvation is when you feel like that. But if we're going off of his measuring stick, we have a journey to go to arrive to being a good friend to God. I want us to, I'm gonna tie in that abide to Psalms 91. I want us to go there because I wanna, this has kind of been on my heart for a while, is that a lot of Christians quote this, and it goes with the same misconception. I'm a friend of God, I'm a friend of God. I'm, I'm under his covering, nothing can touch me. And yet they wonder why all these things are touching them. And so I really wanna read Psalms 91, or at least part of it. I'll just kind of stop, I'll read a part of it. But in Psalms 91, verse one, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. 
Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked, because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. A lot of us have this stitched somewhere in our home, on a pillow, posted somewhere. But it says, for those that abide, and if we come back, oh no, my sticker fell off of my place. <laughs> John 15, if we go back to John 15. Now I have to look for it because I was prepared. Let me read that again. says, as the Father loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Psalms 91 is for those who obey his commandments. A lot of us think that, you know, we wonder why things in our life aren't being protected, why we have sickness and pestilence and these different things in our lives and it points back to somewhere we are not obeying him. Because if we were obeying him, we'd be abiding in his love and we would have all the promises that it says. It's the same with our friendship. These go hand in hand, the abiding and the friendship. So a lot of the areas we want breakthrough in, you know, all these promises about being victorious, being in breakthrough, you know, that our cup runneth over and all of these things that we sing songs about and we want and we say, they come by obeying all the commands. There is no easy route. It's through obedience to him that we receive all of his promises. And so I want us to really look at that today and I wanna teach us on how to become a friend of God and a good friend. The way, where I wanna start on this is I really wanna quickly take us through the three parts of the Trinity because this is an important understanding of friendship with God, of what their role is in our life. And Bradford like started this with the salvation message, which was so good about the Father drawing us unto Jesus, right? Jesus is the way to salvation. Jesus is the way to the Father. Jesus came to restore our relationship, our friendship with God, right? So a lot of times, and I'm gonna get to this a little bit later when I go through the stages of our relationship, if we don't really get like the full gospel, we only get the gospel of salvation, we don't even know the purpose of salvation is to become friends with the Father. We think it was just to say yes to Jesus. Jesus is the way to the Father. He made a way so we could be friends with God. The Father sends his spirit on the earth to live inside of us when we get saved to teach us about our Father, to teach us through the word, to make the word come alive so we can know what God wants. Because we're good, as a good friend, we wanna know him. We gotta know him to know what his commandments are. And so Jesus is the way that we've received salvation and he's our way to the Father in relationship with him. And the Holy Spirit comes to live in, what, in us to teach us and reveal Jesus to him, who's a perfect, to reveal Jesus to us, who is a perfect image of the Father, but to have relationship with the Father. Some of us might not even know who we're supposed to be friends with. We're like, we don't know that it's really the Father who's trying to get to know us. And we get stuck in the relationship of only knowing God as Savior. And so that's the first stage of relationship. You have Savior, Father, King, and Friend. 
this is mine, how I'm going to take us through this journey. There might be other ways or other things, but this is the way it makes sense to me and that the Holy Spirit has revealed to me to share with you today. And so our relationship is actually supposed to progress, but certain, in certain things, we get stuck in different phases of this. And today, my prayer is that you will become unstuck in wherever you are stuck, because all of us are in different places in our relationship with God. But God wants to take us deeper each and every day because there's so much more in that relationship. So when we get saved, right, the first place to get saved, I'm gonna have to double figure this out. <laughs> all right, I figured it out, thank you. It's so funny because Tom was teasing me a little bit because He's like, you went through like a bottle and half of water. I put a water up there and never even use it, you know? And I'm like, I don't know, but I like water. Um, <laughs> so when we get saved, the way we get, we get saved, obviously, is recognizing that we need a Savior. We need Jesus. We recognize that we are broken, that we need Jesus, and we confess our sins, we repent, and we receive Jesus, and the Holy Spirit comes to fill us. And this is amazing. This is day one. We get baptized, right? This is day one of salvation. But unfortunately, many people, that's all they ever receive. They get stuck right there. You ever seen someone, they get saved and they go home and they know the Holy Spirit lives in them now and they know they have some really tough choices to make. They might need to break into relationship. They might need to stop having sex. They might need to throw some stuff away. They, need to, they, they, they immediately are aware of their sin and they know they're supposed to make massive changes in their life. And they go home and they just, they, they don't. They say, no, I just don't want to do that. They may not actually say no out loud, but they ultimately with their actions, they say no. They choose to stay with God only as savior and never to know him deeper in a relationship because they're unwilling to let those things go. They don't know how good it will be when they do. They don't know that there's so much, much greater on the other side of that. Have you ever met somebody who you would never know they were a Christian? You start talking to them about Jesus and they tell you their salvation story. And you're just like perplexed because you're like, yeah, they have this 20 year old story and and they still are holding on to it as if it just happened. And they know they're saved, they know they're going to heaven, but yet there's just no evidence of God in their life. And you're just like, I don't know that you know God the way that I do, but they're, they're saved. This is the savior part of the relationship, but we are not supposed to stay there. This is definitely not the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is that when we get saved, we progress to father, king, and friend. And these are, you know, <clears throat> takes a lot of discipleship, of course, and people walking alongside people. There's other various things that happen. But maybe some of you are in this room and you did get saved at one point, but then when you went home and when you started moving forward, you just didn't wanna let go of the things of this world. You can do that today. But those of us that do, you know, those that the progression looks like this, those that do go home, how many people have you seen? You go home and they do, they just get rid of everything. They're like, that's it. They throw all their, you know, everything in the garbage. Um, you know, they, they, they are like all in. They're just on fire for the Lord. They're like, I'm never going back to that life. And they go on a journey with the Lord and they make him father. 
They actually get to know him and they obey him and listen to him. And they're getting to know him more and more and more. And as they get to know him, they realize that he is good. That every time they obey him, that, that there's like something so much greater on the other side of this, right? This is, this is where a lot of us, you know, hopefully everyone gets here, um, but, but not everybody does as we know. So, but in this place, we learn about God. We learn that he is a good father, that he disciplines his children. If you read Hebrews 12, 10 through 11, which I'm gonna turn there. Yes, okay, my sticky word. <laughs> Hebrews 12, 10 through 11. For they indeed, for a few days, oh, actually, let's see, oh, it's all, I wrote 10 through 11, I'm gonna try that, but I wanna read the whole paragraph. For they indeed, for a few days, chastened us as seemed best, but for that we, we I don't know. I'm gonna, nope, I'm back up, sorry. 12, three, I'm gonna read this whole part. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the father, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chast, is it chastens? And chastens, thank you. Apparently, I didn't hear that word a lot growing up. <laughs> and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? In this season of seeing God as Father, we have an opportunity to respond to his discipline. We have, he starts telling us, you know, when we first get saved, we let go of a lot of big things. But in this season is really where he starts telling us, you know, love your wife as I love the church. Submit to your husbands. It's time to let me heal that part of your heart. It's time for you to let anger go. It's time for you to forgive that person. It's time for you, and he starts telling you all, he takes you deeper and deeper and deeper. But where a lot of us get stuck is at some point he hits something we don't want to let go of. We're like, yeah, I already gave up so much for you. I really, have you met my, have you met my husband? Have you met my wife? You want me to love her like the church? God, you just don't understand <laughs> what you're asking of me. You want me to submit to him? I'll submit to him when we get stuck here when we tell God no. But you know what I think we do the most, more than even telling him no, is we, how many of you as parents, you've asked your kids to take out the garbage? And you get this response, hold on, 
Hold on, one minute. Let me finish what I'm doing first. Hold on. Just a moment, Mom. How many of us, if we don't remind our children, when they've said, hold on, do the children actually come back and do what you ask them to do? I don't know if I've ever seen it happen. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> Let's go with one out of 10 times. Okay, just to be maybe honest, but what ends up happening a lot of times is we're like, no, hey, you gotta take the garbage out. I asked you 10 minutes ago to take the garbage out. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm just, I gotta, I, you know, this happened this last week, it's a real story. I'm just finishing my painting. I'm just drawing. There's nothing wrong with drawing, mom, right? You want me to draw? <laughs> it's a real, I'm just drawing. It's not sin, I'm not doing anything bad. But I asked you to take out the garbage, son. Next day, the garbage is now. Now my house smells. What happens in a week if the garbage doesn't go out? There's ants. My son's very upset because he has ants in his room, but he left a banana peel underneath his bed. Now I told him not to eat food in his room. But he didn't understand why that would be important. How many of us as children of God, we're his children, we see him as father. He's telling us to stop doing things or to do things. And we don't understand why, but we think we do. So we choose not to or to do or not to do because we don't see how important it is and we don't listen to him. And then we're wondering where the ants are coming from. We're like, why is there ants? Why does my house smell? Son, take out the garbage, please. I'm trying to teach you something. Just take out the garbage. Hold on, mom. I'll get to it soon. This is how so many of us are with our relationship with God. He tells us to do something hard and we say, we'll do that when we retire. I'm working, is working sin? I'll do that when my kids are grown up out of the house. I'll do that when I have more money, I'll tie. I'll be generous when I'm just over here painting and drawing a drawing. Our father relationship is optional, meaning as children of God, a good father really can't make you do anything but he's there teaching you and instructing you. And in this season, you learn to understand that his discipline is good and you develop a healthy fear of the Lord, a healthy fear of the Father. A good father is one you can both sit on his lap and yet when he walks in the room and you're doing something wrong, you, or your mom says, I'm gonna tell dad when he gets home and your stomach drops, that is healthy for us to fear the Lord and know I just messed up, but Lord, the good news is that through Jesus, we can repent and come to him as a good father and he will wash us and we can move forward. But many of us have so many areas of our life that we just let the garbage sit there. We thought, you know, I'll, I'll work on my marriage when my husband changes. 
I'll forgive when I'm ready. I'll be in community when I have more time. And we don't realize that without community, we're alone, wolf, and we're devoured. We don't realize that all the, I already, I already serve, you know, I already do these things, Lord, I don't have time. And we don't realize that every commandment in here is what leads to Psalm 91. Every single word in here is not for no reason. We may not understand every reason of it. We may not understand why God is asking us to do certain things, but every single commandment is for our good and for a reason. And he loves us so much. He's trying to help us progress in our wholeness and our freedom and our relationship with him. And he's trying to help us bring his kingdom. He's like, no, don't hold on. How many times? Like, just do it now, son. Please just do it now. This is how we get stuck in Father. The next stage that we're progressing to is seeing God as King. And this is where, when God is our King, we recognize that things, it's not optional. We've said yes so many times to God. We've built such trust with Him that we recognize that He is good and we do obey all of His commands. We've been tested, we've been tried, he's t we've, we've failed, we got up, we repented, but yet through all of that, we reach a place where this, we're like, Lord, I know nothing, you are wise, I am foolish. This is, like, I'm gonna trust you. I don't understand why you're asking me of this, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Kingship is where it's just, it's so beautiful. You, you know that the king is on the throne. You, in Revelation 21, and you fear him and yet love him and know him, and you obey all of his commands. It's a good place to be. You're protected and you're safe. This is where Psalms 91 really kicks in because you're under his, in his you're, everything is under his kingdom. There's no longer some things outside his kingdom, some things outside over here and over here and under the bed, there's banana peels, and over here in the closet, there's a skeleton. He's like, no. Oh, no, my daughter, you're, you, you've come this far. Yeah, and he progresses us and woos us and calls us through his love. And here is what leads to the gateway of friendship. But what happens for some of us, or maybe in different, and this isn't like always, this isn't like you go into each stage once. Some of us might be doing this between some of them. Sometimes you were a friend of God, but something happened and you just fell hard and haven't, you know, got upset at the church or got hurt or different things and we just backtrack. This isn't necessarily when I'm going through these stages and progression of relationship, this isn't just like a one and done. This is a lifelong thing. And so some of us, when we get into kingship, if we don't understand that we're the bride of the king, we don't have intimacy with him, we don't have enough merry time, we burn out in this part of the relationship. And it can become pretty religious. I know some people that make it to this spot. They like obey everything. Have you ever met someone? They are like the most legalistic person you ever met, you know? And you're just like, and some of us don't even wanna get to God as king because we don't wanna be like them. We're like, I don't wanna be religious. But what we're really saying is we don't wanna be zealous because zealous and religious is the opposite coins. Being zealous for God may look just as righteous and holy as religion, but it should be filled with love and fire. Mm 
We're, we're compromising not being zealous because we're afraid of being religious. That is a lie of the enemy. We ought to be zealous for the Lord and zealousness will be look so similar. When you're zealous, you, you'll cancel your television because you don't care. You're gonna cut off every branch that's dead. You're zealous and people are gonna think, you're so weird, you're so out there and you're like, I love Jesus, right? You're like, I don't care. This is zealousness for the Lord, very different than religiousness. Religiousness might have the exact same thing. No TV, you wear dresses, you know, whatever. It might look you know, the same, but it lacks the passion and love. And that's how if you can combine obeying all of his commands with that love, you move into friendship. You obey everything he says and you love him. You don't see it as duty. You're so filled with love for him, you, you want to obey him. This is real friendship with God. And I wanna show you through the story of Peter, how he went on this journey that I'm talking about. I just, I love Peter's story so much. So if we turn, it tells his story in a couple different places. Um, but in Matthew, I think it's Luke 5, it shares the story of him being out on the boat. And you don't have to turn to these, but you can come back in to read them. But in Luke 5, it tells a story about Peter being out on the boat fishing all night. I believe it. Maybe someone should double check that fact for me, but <laughs> Luke 5. <laughs> um, I can't find it on my notes, but... Um, Thank you. Okay, so so make sure I got it right because I'm gonna tell you to go read it later. In Luke 5, he says, Jesus, they're out in the boat fishing all night. It's a story where he comes in. And how many of you guys have seen this Chosen episode? Okay, yeah, it is one of my favorites. I just weep, so it brings it alive even more. But they're out fishing all night. He comes in and Jesus is on the shore and he tells him to cast his nets on the other side. And Peter going, are you kidding me? Jesus, you know, doesn't know who Jesus is yet. But he's like, you're not a fisherman. You're gonna tell me how to fish. Puts the net in, comes back with all oh, so many fish, it sinks their boat. And in this moment, Peter realizes that Jesus is the Messiah, that maybe this is the long awaited one. He gets off the boat and he runs to him, gets on his knees, says, I'm not even worthy. And Jesus says, I just ask that you follow me. Come be a fisher of men. This is Peter's salvation moment. He says yes. He follows Jesus. He gives up a lot in this moment. He leaves his parents behind. He goes and lives nomadically with Jesus and goes from town to town. They're persecuted. Jesus is training him. He's being discipled. He's learning how to cast out demons and do these things. And he's watching his teacher and becoming like him. And he's a disciple. He's now seeing him as the father because Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so really, Jesus is helping him get to know God as his Father and as a disciple, and he becomes a son and a child of God and begins to understand the ways of the kingdom and how the kingdom operates. And yet he still stumbles quite a few times, you know, um, at the garden at the end. God's asking him to pray. Jesus is saying, pray, lest we fall into temptation. And he's there sleeping. How many times does, is that just relevant to us? God wants us to pray, stay in the secret place longer, to fast, 
We're like, I'll fast when, later, when I want to, when it's convenient, when I retire, then I will do those things. And in that, Peter does fall into temptation. God, then Jesus comes and prophesies to him that you're gonna deny me three times. I always think about that. Would he have denied him three times if he had been up praying? You know, isn't that interesting? How so many times we think God says, hey, you want breakthrough in that area? Fast, do that. And then we don't. And then we think, well, I'm just not gonna get the breakthrough, but then it causes a snowball effect of other things in our life. Those little acts of obedience is what makes us stuck. So then Jesus, Jesus says to him, you're gonna deny me three times. He says, no, I'm not. I'm not gonna do that. How many times does someone wiser than you give you counsel and you're like, I don't need to follow those religious rules. I don't need to submit to authority. I'm never gonna fall. I don't need to do this or do this or, right? This is, we're, we're Peter and Peter's learning and growing. But then he does. He realizes that Jesus was right because Jesus is always right, just in case we need to know. But he then, he messes up and he runs away as Jesus says that he would, like he said his disciples would. And another gospel talks about Jesus cutting the ear off of the soldier. Peter, sorry, what did I say? Oh, sorry, my goodness. Okay, <laughs> correction. Peter <laughs> cuts off the ear of the soldier and Jesus says, put away the sword. This is the chastising of God. Jesus is correcting Peter. He is rebuking Peter. How many times did he say to him, you know, um, you have little faith, my disciples. Had you not understand the multiplying of the food yet? Do you not understand? Jesus is treating him like the Father treats us. He is chastening, I gotta get this word, chasten, chastening him. He's chastening him. He's disciplining them. He's, he's teaching them and doing that. And Peter, at any point, how many disciples left Jesus? Are you gonna leave me too? But Peter, I'll never leave you. I'll never leave you. He never, he receives the discipline. He receives the correction and he grows and grows and grows and grows. And even after he ran back home and he's fishing again and Jesus died and rose again and now he's revealing himself to the disciples in John 21. I'm gonna turn there. He comes to Peter while Peter's fishing again. And he calls out to him, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. You know, Peter did it. And when the fish came in, he knew that this man on the side of the beach was his savior. It was Jesus. And he jumps out of the boat and he swims to him. And he sits there and has a meal with Jesus. And Jesus says to him, do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? This is what God's saying to us is, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Let's see. 
He goes again and says the same call. Feed my sheep, most assuredly I say to you. When you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. He's sitting there with Peter again and this time he says, do you love me? You're gonna die like I died. You may walk where you wanna go, but there's gonna come a day where they're gonna pull your hands and stretch them and they will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. It says this he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. You know, Peter says yes here. It doesn't say that he says yes, per se. It continues in the conversation where Peter says, what about that guy, John? Is he gonna die the same way? And God says to him, what is it to you if he lives until I return? A lot of us get upset at the Lord because he asks something of us that maybe he doesn't require of someone else. But Peter said yes. And we know this because God said to go wait in Jerusalem for the gift of the Spirit to come. And out of his hundreds and hundreds of disciples, there's 120 gathered on the day of Pentecost where they had prayed and prayed and prayed for over 12 days. They were praying and praying in unity and one accord, obeying the last words of Jesus, which is wait for the gift of the Father. Can you imagine how confusing that might've been? They have no idea what this gift is. They have no idea how long they're going to wait. But Jesus made a decision that unto death, I will obey every command. This is where Jesus became his king the one sitting at the right hand of the Father. He says, Jesus, you are my king. I'll no longer question you. They're in the upper room and they're praying and they're praying and the Holy Spirit falls upon them. And the same man who ran away and denied Jesus three times steps out in front of thousands of people. And my favorite, it's the best sermon ever. You who killed Jesus. <laughs> By the way, it's so crazy because these men could have killed Peter. But he gets up preaches the gospel to them and says, the same of you that had killed Jesus, now you need to receive Jesus. And thousands get saved. This is what our life looks like when Jesus is our king. Then he just, you just keep reading it and reading it. And they're meeting every single day, sharing everything they have. God's giving them wisdom and revelation and they're going forth and they're preaching the gospel and they're getting brought into the authorities and the authorities are telling them to stop. And he says, who should we listen to? You or God? There's no more any question. There's no more doubting. Who do we listen to? Man or God? They let him go again. He goes back. He prays some more and the Holy Spirit comes upon him again. And they continue in obedience until persecution comes. People are martyred for God and they keep going. What does Jesus say a friend is? One who's willing to weigh his life down for a friend. Well, once Jesus is your friend, you're willing to die for him. Stephen was a friend of God. That's why he was willing to lay down his life for Jesus. And when you look at this season of Acts, where Peter is now a friend of God, look at the rest of the book. Doesn't it look fun? Isn't that what we all want? 
We want our communities transformed. We want revival to come. We want to see people saved and healed and delivered. That came when Peter was a friend of God. This is the progression our relationship should go. Is it's a lifelong process of being yielded to the Lord where you say yes to everything he says. Any area that you're holding on to that you've said no or not yet is why you're stuck. Why there's certain areas that aren't in breakthrough because that garbage is still there. Collecting rats. Proverbs says that sin is like, a, is like, returning to your sin is like a dog returning to its vomit. Have you ever seen a dog throw up and eat it? It is awful. Yeah, it makes you wanna throw up. This is, I imagine, what it looks like to God when we return to our sin. He's like, no, it's so gross, and the dog doesn't even know it either. You know, <laughs> you're like, <laughs> it's like our children on the slide. You try to tell them, you don't know their name, and yet they're your friend, and they just look at you like, I don't, I don't understand the conclusion you've reached. Today, the Lord wants to unstick you, however you want to put that. He wants to help you move forward. But it only comes with saying yes. I want us to give us a moment with the Lord. I know I have a feeling a lot of you have already had things pop back into your head over the years. And some of these things, some of you might have been, been stuck for 20 years. You've been waiting for breakthrough in your marriage for 20 years, 30 years, five years. Maybe you've been waiting for breakthrough in your business or in your finances or, you know, in different areas of your life or um, in your intimacy with the Lord or peace. Maybe you've been battling anxiety for a long time and you just don't understand why. The Lord is going to speak to you and tell you where you said no or hold on. And if you choose, if you choose to say yes, you will have breakthrough. And if you can learn this as a lifestyle, that even when things don't make sense, that you just say yes to Jesus, you will go from glory to glory to glory. Some of you, the Lord asked you guys to do something at one point and you didn't feel like you were qualified to. You didn't feel like you knew how, so you thought that that meant you didn't have to do it. It's not true. He's like, go learn, <laughs> figure it out. <laughs> Find someone who's doing that and do it. Maybe you made a if-then statement with the Lord. I'll do that if or when. We don't, we don't get to do those. So I want to have you close your eyes. I want us to take a moment and I want you to write a few things down. But I want you to think about the things that you know God has asked you not to do 
that you keep doing. then I want you to ask the Lord to show you if there was things you were supposed to do that maybe you said, hold on, and you never got back to it. I want you to evaluate just where you are in this progression right now in this season. Are there any scriptures that you know you're not obeying? Some of you, there's people you know you're supposed to forgive, but you have been holding on to that. It's time to let it go. I want you to take a moment, and now I'm just gonna teach you how to pray for those things. I want you just to say to the Lord, I confess that I either did this or didn't do this, and I repent for it. And I now say yes to you, and I'm going to obey you. So just confess it, repent for it, and then say yes. Some of you have hurts that you've been holding on to for a long time. Jesus wants you to give those to him so you can move forward. Now I just want you to take a moment and ask Jesus how you can do these things or to stop. He'll give you wisdom. Just let him reveal some things to you. a time of worship if Amy could come forward I want us to just know that we were all made to be friends of God 
But we have to choose to say yes. That is within our will to say yes or to say no. It's in our will to put the painting down and say, yes, Father, and take the garbage out. That's why he gives us the helper of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus is asking us today, do you love me? Do you love me? Come follow me on this journey. Come closer to me. You're gonna need to lay things down. You're gonna need to start doing other things. There's gonna have to be lifestyle changes. And maybe some of you just don't even know how. And the school ministry is a great option for you to consider if that's where you're at. But today, right now, it doesn't wait till September. It starts today. It's for us to just say yes to the Lord. So I just wanna open up the altars for time of prayer. If you wanna come and just worship the King up here, the ministry team will be up here for prayer as well. But don't leave yet, we're gonna stay in worship and then we'll dismiss you in a few moments. If you need prayer for anything, come forward, but let's just worship our King and put our eyes and affection on Him and declare, yes, I will follow you, Jesus. Yes, I will follow you. That's gotta be our heart cry. I love you, God. I agape you. And let's just turn our eyes to him. Thank you.